tell, yeah, tell us about your Broadway debut. Broadway <laughs> debut. Like. <laughs> um, I, I, I think I'll this story is as, really freaking I'll amazing. I'll try to be as synthesized as possible. I love that. Um, <laughs> I have learned that the biggest moments in my life have been just the most difficult. Mm. Have been such trials. Have been such tests. Like, um, and I've learned so much from them. And there's so much gratitude to that. I'll try to be as synthesized as possible. I love it. Um, so yeah, I ended up having the wonderful fortune of gaining representation that brought me into like two years of like hustling and making it work right yeah um doing survival jobs leaving for gigs doing gigs in the city doing other gigs in (laughs) in the city um and figuring a lot of things out um what's what a lot of people don't tell you is like the qualitative experience of living without stability. I think sometimes we focus on how it's not financially like um, beneficial. Um, and sometimes there's a lot of like attention put on like the finance and the stress of like the finances, but also it's a weird quality of tension. Because you're experiencing a lot of life mm. by putting the pieces together. Yes. And it seems like time is just so full and rich and so much life happens in a short amount of time for people living in that hustle without stability, I think. And um, all of those lessons um, are taxing. It, it can be very exhausting, you know? So I um, was able to do an off-Broadway show that led me to a national tour, and I was a dance captain there. And then that was like a year and a half of like in and out of the city, like work on and off. And I was doing other work regionally, um, and it was pretty consistent. And we had a pretty um, good working relationship with my agency. And... um, it led me to also exploring other parts of myself mm-hmm. in wellness coaching and nutrition. In, um, while you were on the road? While I was on the road and in New York. Cool. Um, so I became very clear that I wanted to stay in New York. One, because of these other parts of me that were fledgling um, being um, developed. And also the desire to be in a creative space where I was growing and um, taking the next steps forward. Yep. Right. As the owner of your business, <laughs> to decide when those steps are is so personal. Because yeah. for people to take their cards, people to decide that leaving the city isn't for them anymore. Yeah. I, there's no perfect time to do it, but to trust that you know you've laid the groundwork here, that your life is here, and yeah. there are things that you don't want to walk away from in yeah. order to take six weeks out of the city. Or so is that it, it was that exact dichotomy. I was like, I do not want to be taking work outside of the city um, and anymore, and I want to be looking for opportunities that I can make my Broadway debut yeah. or opportunities where I can do principal work. Sure. Right? So it was time for me to just level up so it turned into about a year 
of um, that pursuit and doing a lot of work in the wellness coaching and the nutrition and the social work, um, which was also so wonderful in its cross-fertilization because it was activating my purpose, yes. you know, that yes. I had taken so much time and intention to developing and understanding that I could be completely fulfilled in other areas. Um, then, you know, time goes by and I'm still saying no to auditions out and, you know, there becomes a tension and, and it became clear that um, I had a different um, vision mm-hmm. than where my reps were. Yeah. Um, and based on like experience and where everything was, um, they also like felt like we weren't going in the same direction. Um, and I had been auditioning for Aladdin um, since it started on Broadway, before Broadway. And I was going in for every role in that yeah. and, and, Like, it's, it's wild. Like, I don't think anyone has auditioned more for that show. I'd be so curious to get them all um, in the room and find out. For, like, uh, two years. How, if you had to guess how many times you went into a room... Like for for that with auditions and with callbacks and multiple work sessions and then different roles and boom, boom, boom. I was tried out for like, I think, five different roles. Um, So that's five different processes, five different bulk of material. But at different times. I would say about like... 20 yeah. something times mm. auditioning for the show. 20 something And people. every time it was the same story that it was like, oh, everyone loves you. It's just like not right for right now. Or not like, not right now. Or just like, keep you're so right in. for the world, blah, blah, blah. And Ooh. you keep getting that story and you wonder if that feedback is, is, Real. is accurate. Yes, absolutely. And, and, you know, my agents were like, like also feeling the same thing. Totally. Like, well, this just isn't going to happen. So I ended up uh, being dropped by that agency because it came to a place where I continued to say no to work that they knew I could book. And... They're not I was making still money. holding to the They're idea of money. I'm leveling up in these ways, yep. right? So then I get this list of all the submissions that I have from left your from your agent, them, right? <gasps> so I saw on it, it was like um, one of the last things that they submitted me for that they hadn't heard back from was for the national tour of Aladdin that was going out. Um, so and they sent this with basically their farewell. They this was their basic, This was their farewell, <laughs> and basically they were saying, "We've submitted you for these projects. If they come through and you happen to book Got one it. of them, you we are will still be representing you, and you'll still pay us our commission and all that stuff. But after these, Hysterical. you're on your own. <laughs> so then I saw this and I was like, and I immediately, and the reason I had stayed with them is because I was like, I, I need this access too, even though I sure. knew the tension was happening. And I felt that, you know, if they didn't drop me, I would have dropped them too. Because we weren't it wasn't having a, a meeting of minds anymore. Yeah. But then when you're dropped, you're then like, it's outside of my control now, so yeah. I don't have the same access. So I was like, I saw 
Aladdin on there, the tour. And I was like, I'm booking that. I ended up taking a trip outside of the city to visit my cousin, who I'm very close with, and then um, seeing our mutual friend Tatiana Lofton. Shout and out to Tati, girlfriend. Tati. You're amazing. We love you. Come on, Tati. Yes. Kill it. Um, and that was like a trip to just get clarity and space. And I ended up um, ending a relationship that I was in that didn't serve me. And I was coming back to New York with just like newness yes. and stepping into that. And I was like, I'm going to, I told Tati this, I said, I'm going to book uh, the tour of Aladdin. She's like, oh, cool. That sounds fun. She's like, work. And and I was like, I was just so sure. I was like, because I'm going to book this because I don't have any more opportunities to get in these rooms without them. Yeah. So I was like, kind of like, got to make it work. So I went into and I just completely like was so in sync with it. And... I was doing all of the, I was, you know, um, being brought in to understudy um, Aladdin and I just nailed everything. Mm. And I was like, wow, I, I, I did it. I did it. It's empowering yeah. when your best self comes through in a room mm. like that. And then um, this was the last conversation I had with my agents. And then they were like, hey, they said you were awesome. It's not for right now. And they're like, okay, like, bye. Excuse me, and I, I was just like, my head against a wall. Wait, what? <laughs> I have never felt more in the flow to this the moment. flow was happening. The flow. <laughs> so then I, that was like the end of the summer, and then I know that I'm going back to the show, the first Noel at the Apollo. Yes, and I remember yes. you doing that, and yes. it was such a healing space. I had been a part of it since it's like very beginning. We did it off Broadway, and then we got moved up to the main stage of the Apollo, and it was this incredible healing community. And that was another moment where, again, I talk about the power of community, mm-hmm. and being a part of that show was where I got so beautifully connected to the Black community yeah. in New York of performers. So, like, I talked first about like being a part of the Asian American yes. community and now being a part of like the black community through this show and like really like building this thing. It just like was this other synergy and family that held me in that time and gave me the accountability and also allowed me to keep keep the momentum going. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting a call during our tech week of First Noel, like so this was a, in um, December. Um, and it was from Tara Rubin's office and Eric Woodall was like, hey, so I reached out to your old reps and they said that you're not, <laughs> they're not with you anymore. But they told, they said, they sent me your personal information, which is so generous of them. That you was, know? So yeah. like, I really, I owe so much to them, like, even from the beginning. Like, yeah. everything was so amicable with, like, we were so in, in line with where the choices and decision and action was And the was relationship all. served a huge And everything purpose. was, you know, we, we really, like, everything was it, it's smooth. So, like, them being, like, reach out to Adam personally. Um, he was like, yeah, so we've got this opening. We need you to come in for, like, the whole team, like, this one day, like, tomorrow. And we, oh like, my god! I was like, oh okay. So then I like, I ended up. Um, Do you know being if it's able for tour to, Broadway at this point? It was or? for Broadway. Okay, so they had told you up front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. So it was. Um, I got out of tech because like 
they were also awesome. Like, who lets you out of tech? Like, totally. out of a 10 out of 12 to go. Anyways, it never, crazy. None of this ever happens when you're, like, <laughs> right. you know, twiddling your thumbs on your couch waiting for, like, I'm something free to do. For the next yeah, four days. Like, excuse me, I have to get off right. of work. I'm in the middle of tech. I, my family's in town, or I'm not in the country. So they gave me an hour out of tech to go, and I remember going down to Pearl. And I told them, because they had everyone there, and we were, like, going to go through all the combos and then do, like, read and all the things for, like, the parts. And and I was like, I have to be back at tech, like, in How fast can 40 we make this? minutes. <laughs> and then they kicked everyone else out of the room. And I did, I spent a half an hour in the room with the whole team. They put me on tape. And I just danced by myself. I did all the tap by myself. Because they knew you had the... to leave? Mm. Yes. Oh, I did yes. all the scenes inside and yeah. That probably served you. And in just a by way. myself, just me putting for a half an hour in that room while these 12 other guys were just outside like, waiting. Who is this guy? And then I remember opening and I was like, whoa, like what was that? Yeah. Just like having that attention. Yeah. Um, oftentimes we don't, we don't get that attention. You know? No. We don't get that feedback, you know? So I like remember opening the door and like walking and then seeing everybody being like, have fun at rehearsal. And I was just like, okay, prancing out. And I was like, whoa, that that happened. And then the next day I, I got the call that I, you know, that part was there for me. Unbeknownst was that all of these decisions behind for the tour, I was actually like cast in the tour. And before that, like, the one cast member had um, a girlfriend book the tour, and then last minute he decided to join the tour. So then his opening was available. Thank you for following your pal. So then we got down to the point, and then they had decided, they're like, let's bring Adam into Broadway. So So much you don't see. When that time came, they're like, oh, we we just want to, you know, put him on tape one more time and get approval from everyone because it's been a couple months, whatever. And... It, it's it's wild like what's for you is for you and yes. I didn't have to yes. pay my agent and like it was just all these like other things it was like the these little had a tiny things and I got to plan. stay in New York you know what yeah. I mean and it was all these things and you did it on your terms you I decided terms. how you wanted to get there mm-hmm. yeah. that you were willing to not be employed by what we perceive as being successful working the most yeah. you said that is not how I view success you wanted to stay, and you decided you were going to level up, and I love that. And it happened when you were in a place that you could receive it and be ready for it, yeah. which I think is so impactful. Yeah, and I I think about, like, the idea of going back to community, you mm-hmm. know? It's so important to have that accountability around you. Absolutely. Um, so I was in Aladdin um, for um, a year and a half, and um, through that time, I ended up... Um, still because I had no representation I think about the time that I was doing so much auditioning and every time you go into a room you need to know that it's an investment yes and it's not necessarily for that job a hundred percent it's for you being able to nail your intention and learn from that experience and also you never and just 
being connected to who's in the room, you know, yeah. and that's going to serve you down the line. So I think about even though I wasn't represented, um, months later, I was in like half a year later, I've been in Aladdin and I'm now like a year out of having representation. I get another call out of the blue from another casting um, agency who I had been doing great work with with my agent before and they remembered me and they brought me in for this project directly because they were like hey we, we reached out to your whole agency yeah, so we got your but we want you to see so I ended up going into this process with the blood too because I was like I don't have these opportunities I hadn't auditioned in a year like I hadn't yeah. auditioned in a year and I was like I don't get these opportunities so it's mine and, and our job is really to audition yeah our career is a professional auditioner Absolutely. right because even when you're in a show you're looking for your next experience which yeah. is so interesting and I think the biggest lesson I learned in that moment was um, I often play it safe in those places not giving my full vulnerability because I don't want to deal with the wreck of the rejection so sure. i'll do enough to get that call back i'll do enough and enough but i won't give everything but it doesn't get you the results you want and in this moment because i wasn't being invited into rooms and here i was i knew the stakes and i said i don't care how devastated i am if i don't get this i'm giving everything because i can't not yeah and i ended up booking um moulin rouge and being a part of the whole development of it and doing the lab and so doing cool. double duty with aladdin and then putting my notice in to leave aladdin to do the boston out of town tryout with this show that i've been helping to develop that was a part of this journey of me like stepping out on my own terms and then in one of my final weeks at aladdin i ended up herniating three discs in my back and then just like the the fallout yeah. of that one in the dysphoria of being in a disabled body now mm. that you have imbued so much meaning around this vessel for your work for your identity yeah for your livelihood um to now not know what the future holds with that, what your possibility is. And then the immediate loss of, um, I just left this opportunity at Aladdin, <laughs> totally. the stability there to follow this creative pursuit. And now I have to be replaced over there too, you know? And, and you it, had worked so hard for those opportunities. Yeah, I had never been so devastated too. And it's, it's wild imagine. too that it's like a full circle moment where it was like, I don't care if I'm so devastated, I'm leaving it all. And then getting that like positive enforcement, like you left it all out there and now you get it too. But <laughs> then also you. being devastated in a new way Yeah. that completely, it like wrecked me for a while, but I... It and was I, dark. It was a dark time. It and then dark. at the same time, I was imagine. dealing with um, the loss of my cousin, um, who was so close to me. And it was all of this, this year of all of this loss happening. And I realized that, you know, the reason didn't have to be known. But that if I was patient, it, it, the purpose would prove itself. So I 
I even in all the questions like patience isn't about having any answers it's about doing the work of acceptance it's about being in a place of valuing where you are even in the like tension and confusion and disappointment to realize there's still something for you and yes. and I think as young people as artists um, you can learn a lot you can get a lot of success and you can um, even fool yourself by not investing in patience but at some point you realize it's a virtue for a reason um, and that's also part of this this healing process so now I'm a year away from my um, injury and what's wild is there was a declaration I made a year ago before the injury happened and that manifestation came true Wow. And I didn't even know Ooh, that the injury chills, was actually going to bring me to this thing that was on my heart as well. I was comfortable leaving Aladdin because I didn't, if I look back at Prince in all those years, I didn't go into the arts to find stability. Yes. And if yes. I wanted stability, I could have done a lot of other things. Mm-hmm. But I came to this industry, which I'm passionate about, to use my purpose to create and to be a part of that process. Um, so here I'm given this opportunity, I'm gonna follow it. So I put my notice in to Aladdin, and then by this time I actually started uh, freelancing with a manager. And I told them that I um, am comfortable with like the long, the year gap between Moulin Rouge in Boston and Moulin Rouge on Broadway, because in that time, when we get back, at the end of the summer, once on this island, we'll have won the Tony for Best Musical Revival, and they'll need to hire a new vacation swing because they'll have extended life. And they're like, mm, sure, oh, okay. <laughs> like, do you want us to tell that them that you're not taking it? Or like, just tell us, like, what? Do, like, huh. great. Um, they weren't really trying to indulge this like crazy totally. statement, right? And what's wild is being injured. <laughs> kept me in New York and it was a wild back and forth recovery process and workman's comp battle my surgery being denied me having to like stay functional with physical therapy and all this other treatment to get myself back to dancing functionally just with chronic pain Um, and then the opportunity for that exact thing that I declared mm. came about but earlier so not why, on your time yeah, right? yeah not on my time yeah, totally so I was actually able to be there for that dream because of this terrible thing that I didn't want and what a injury. dream that had to have been to have been a part of something that was such a like cultural expression sure yeah, that yeah, yeah, served yeah. a greater purpose than Which I find that, I'm sure all of us, I say this like I'm a rarity, but that's the type of work I'm drawn to is the risk taking and doing things that are, um, it was such a celebration of a culture told by the culture that it should have been told by. Sure. And I, from the creative team all the way down, um, 
what a beautiful experience. It, it really was such a healing process, too, because if I look even earlier, that show means just so much to me. It's yeah. always been one of my like life shows, and it always just popped up at moments. And even when I was losing my, my cousin, mm-hmm. that was a show, and music in that show was something I dedicated to him. Wow. Throughout that process. So then it also helped in my healing process from my cousin. And then to be in this place of disability and injury and then having the opportunity to like go all in. And it was the ability to be a vacation swing where I didn't have to perform eight times a week on that sand because I actually couldn't. Yeah. And from what I was told from dancers in it, that it definitely seemed not the best uh, environment <laughs> sure, for sure, a dancer's sure. body definitely to maintain that schedule. No, no. Um, but certainly, like having that chronic pain and that back issues, if I did a full week, my back would just, Bradley will tell you, it, yeah. just, it would be so seized up. It would be so bad because I was de- still dealing with these um, herniated discs. But. The capacity allowed me to do it because wow. I would have like a week on, then two weeks off, a week on, two weeks off, and then I would be able to like work around it. Um, and to have that experience doing a show where I was completely worthy for it and I had all of the capabilities while still compromised was a completely affirming moment. Right. Here I was spiraling in a depression around being a dancer and not being able to dance and not having my full facility, but then here's this opportunity that wants me even in my disability because I bring everything that is needed. Yes. Not because of my injury, but despite of my injury. Yes. It was so life-affirming in that way to like, I'm back on Broadway performing and I'm doing it disabled. Like, it's crazy. So then... We flash forward to the show closing and me battling with workman's comp and we ended up finally getting my surgery. So I'm now in this other period of patience and learning what that means as I'm finishing up my recovery. And it's, you know, it's not been a a linear recovery. It's not been completely one way. It's been two steps forward, one step back. But I'm learning how it's all serving me so well because I see how... I've, I'm just being equipped and learning lessons and able to flex other sides of myself and, and cultivate um, and cross-fertilize that, um, you know, nothing's lost and patience will prove itself. I, I appreciate you sharing that story because I think injury is such a um, taboo that we have a difficult time talking about. Mm-hmm. And I think patience... I have found myself in the past year in the practice of patience um, and finding whatever that is um, because it's still a journey to it. Um, And that serves you in greater ways beyond any momentary show. Anything that's fleeting, those things are, that's lifelong. I think that's so incredible. Um, And Bradley, I'm so curious for you to share. So your first experience getting to your big New York debut, all of these things um, was not what you were expecting. I would love to hear 
the growth that happened after that when the show closed and you were left to put the pieces back together for your life and how that maybe brought you to an artistic experience that did check all the boxes that mm-hmm. you said, oh, wait, I can do this and I want to do this. This is my choice. Uh, Rocky closed. I was so happy. <laughs> you were, I was like skipping through the streets. Um, but then I needed money. I had been going in for Chicago. Yes. During the towards the end of Rocky, and that was something that was so fun and fulfilling because I love Fosse. Yes. I remember seeing the show on tour as a kid and like falling in love with this like dark, sexy, amazing show. Yes. I'd always had you know my I think my Broadway dream kind of surrounded something like that, something that felt good. If I was right. dancing, I had to feel really good, and storytelling was a part of it. Um, so I got the chance to go on the tour, and I kind of saw that as like a a way to run away from New York. And I said, I yes. don't know what it's going to be, but if this experience is good, then I'll love it. If it's not, then I'm going to know for sure that this is my way out of here. I don't yep. have an apartment. I don't have anything holding me down. I'm going to leave. Interesting. I had the yeah. best experience of my life. Ooh. I met some of the best friends ever. I still have these same friends. We still have a, a Chicago, you know, text group going strong. When it's a magical group like that, yeah. it is in. Magic. We had the best time touring, doing the show, and amazing theaters that were huge and massive and working with, you know, and ranking. And, like, Chicago changed my life. And around that same time, I started getting all these auditions for these great roles. Mm. So I spent my, you know, I did Chicago for seven, eight months. Around that time. And you were in the ensemble? Mm-hmm, I was um, Fred Casling in the ensemble. I understudied Billy Flynn. Great. And once again, understudying a principal. Mm-hmm. And during that time, I was getting all these auditions and video submissions for all these lead roles and shows, these principal parts. And I never been, um, I never necessarily had callbacks for auditions for just the the role. I was always understudying. And which it sounds I was like you were conditioned to be that way anyway yeah, in school. And- yeah, exactly. But this, now on tour, I was sending these tapes in, and I was getting all these callbacks for these big parts. And I was flying to New York, paying all this money to get all these callbacks <laughs> from one time, two times, three times. And for the first time, I was like, why am I getting all these auditions and callbacks for these big opportunities? Some things that had never been original things, some things that were currently on Broadway, things that were currently on tour. I was like, okay, maybe I can do that. No one ever told me along my time in school that I was even capable of, of having that that privilege or wow. that opportunity. So when it came time to extend the Chicago contract, they announced that we're going to Korea for the summer. Yes. Uh, and everyone was kind of like, yes, the job continues. You know, you keep getting your health weeks. You keep getting work. I was the first one to kind of be like, I don't think I should do this. I think I should go to New York and be there. There's My, obviously yeah, things waiting for you. Maybe something can happen. I won't know unless I'm there. I'm stressed out now, like going back and some backwards and forth to New York and spending this money. Totally. That like I'm trying to save this money. I'm spending it to go back to New York. I'm sleeping on like couches and what would happen if I just was there? Yeah. So I said no to the job. Everyone told me I was crazy. Of course they did. My agency. How do you say even, no to jobs? Right. My agency even said they were like, okay, like we totally <laughs> respect this, but like you have to understand if you come back, you might not have a job really quickly. I was like, I get that. Like, we'll make it work. I've worked in a restaurant before. I could do it again. I, I can. This. I have friends that babysit. I could do something. I'll yes. figure it out. I'm going to take this risk and, and not be safe. I get back to New York and I kind of, nothing is happening. You're all like, of a sudden, wow. all these auditions for these big parts weren't happening anymore. And I wasn't auditioning at all. I was babysitting. I was, I was trying to like, you know, 
make this like nannying babysitting thing my thing sure. i had like three or four families going and i was kind of making good money i was enough sure. to survive yes and i was having like these great relationships with, with my friends because i hadn't really spent a lot of time with them yeah and the you know two, it's fun years. to come back to the city yeah after you've been gone for a long time. i was doing that i was auditioning here and there and then i was getting these great like industrial gigs that were paying me really good oh. for like a week or two yes um short could save that money pay. i was doing tv guest spots i was getting regional gigs and i was like you know what if i don't get yes. a, a broadway show or a great amazing tour i can make this gig life work because i'm happy doing it mm. um, i actually love the babysitting i like the kids like it's yeah. good life and the short projects great. are fun because you don't have time for drama to be created no. it's, it really is like hit it and quit it and hopefully it's a blast. Mm-hmm. And I learned really quickly too. I was like, I've always been kind of aware of myself and what I need to do and what I could do better. I was like, if I want to play these parts, if I want to be seen in this way, I need to be in acting class. How can I, how is someone going to give me the, the, the opportunity to play this big role in a show that costs millions of dollars yep. if I'm not ready for it? I'm not working that muscle. I'm relying on this training I got when I was you know, 18 through 21 to get me by. Mm-hmm. I'm a different person now. I'm changing every day. Yep. I need to understand how to work as an actor here, not under the pressures of school. That's I'm very cool. I'm in classes and intensives. I'm doing that stuff, which is scary because I never really put so myself vulnerable. out there like that. So I'm vulnerable. comfortable at this point going to BDC and taking yes. a dance class. But I'm taking the class that I want to take, yeah. too. I'm not being forced to take something out of my comfort zone. Sure. Um, that's fun. And, and I then I leave town a couple of times. I meet you yes. in a gunkwit doing the fun, oh, fun jobs. A, that show changed the course of my entire life. It's so it did. Really yeah, did. literally. Really? Um, so much and fun. creatively, You're I was right. so young. And I was so excited to work for Ogunquit, which has like exploded since and it exploded. Exploded, since. man. And I was around people who had been on Broadway and doing all those things, and I was now after being in school and maybe have during school had led quite a few things. I got to be a listener and I got to absorb and everyone was so generous and kind with what they with what they shared with me. And we had a freaking blast. We had so much fun. And I continued to go and do other regional gigs and summer stock gigs that summer into that fall that were just fun continued. Came back to New York. I was still in classes and intensives and I got off Broadway play that kind of happened all of a sudden. Yeah. That wasn't the most fun necessarily for me, but I was around some of the best actors to ever hit the stage. Like not not young people who are great, people who have been in the business for 50, 60 years. Ooh. Dana Ivey was in the show and Dana Ivey is literally driving Miss Daisy. She is <laughs> Miss Daisy OG. Like theater legend who just incredible who just like a gunk what you were saying people like giving you their knowledge and welcoming you in arms open these actors who could truly be my grandparents my parents arms open just schooling me on the theater and very different from your first experience very different so to be able to be a sponge and to be um, empowered to be that oh sponge, my god. And, I mean, that is the best feeling. And at first, I kind of, like, had a young, immature eye roll to it. You know, we had two and a half sure. weeks of table work. We just sat around the table from 10 to 6 and just broke down every single word in this almost four-hour play. Yeah, that would be hard for me, too. I get and that. eventually, I, got to, I was like, wait, I'm sitting across from Dana Ivey. Exactly. Watching her break down this text and talk about what it means and spending 
an hour and a half on one sentence. I need to listen to this. Mm. By the end of that play, I was just like, I don't want to do musicals. I want to do. I want to do plays only. I want to go back to school. I because yeah. I want to be as great as these people were. Yeah. And I would have have auditions during that time, and and they would even encourage that and sit with me and run lines with me. Like I was auditioning for Kinky Boots, and Dana Ivy was running Kinky Boots lines with me. I'm like, you're literally a queen of the of the stage, what and you're and you're being like Charlie and Kinky Boots, and she's like. Darling, just be the best you in the moment. Oh. Be the best you in the moment. Or like, wow. this is this sounds good, but maybe heighten the end of this word. You know, make the make the words sound, sound like a melody. Sing this line. Like I'm like, oh. okay, wow. And she would they would check in with me after the callbacks, and I finally I got that job. I got Kinky Boots in Australia. I did know that actually. Yeah. I totally forgot about that. I can keep it in Australia, and that was a show I always wanted to do because sure. it opened around the time I moved to New York, and there was a you know a black male lead. Such a powerful piece. Such a powerful piece, a part of you know, it was blew my mind. I yeah. always wanted to do it. I got a chance to do it in Australia. I was so excited. I was like, oh, I cool. I also kind of answered some questions about a relationship that I was in that was kind of toxic, that yeah. I finally, it was finally going really well and was going in the direction of being something real. But I was now in the place of like, uh, maybe I shouldn't do this. But Kinky Boots was like, you shouldn't do this. Go to Australia. I'm giving you a chance I to not do I was ready this. for all of that. And I, I, so I ended that and I was negotiating with my agents to make this Australia two-year agreement happened. Ooh, two, two years. years. Yeah. Wow. Um, and that was going to lead me, either I would stay there the full two years or I made an agreement to like move in the world of Kinky Boots somewhere else because cool. I was supposed to learn Lola. I was going to understudy Lola and be an angel and figure out where I could be Lola somewhere, maybe, if it worked out that way. Um, I was ready for that. And what a Lola you would have been. Yeah. Oh. I still want to get my fingers on Lola. You will. On Lola you will. That day. piece, I think it will have uh, many of lives. People I think so be too. People very excited to get their hands on it. I'm so. like, somewhere in the world, give me a if chance. If you're listening, Bradley Gibson <laughs> for Lola, I'm starting a petition tonight. I would love to do that. Um, I was ready to do it. And then a Bronx tale came into my life. Um, I had been auditioning for other things with this casting agency, Tara Rubin. They've always been so good to me. Yeah, we love Tara. We love Tara. Our household too. They're stand Tara. Yes, Tara. Good people work there. A Bronx still came to my email. My agent sent me the appointment, and they were like, "I know you're. We're going to Australia, but maybe look at what this is." Yeah. This was the summer that you know, media was really showing um, innocent young black people getting arrested, getting killed. It was, you know, Black Lives Matter was in full effect. And we were all upset. Mm. I was so upset. I was, for the first time, really seeing something that I knew existed my entire life. You know, I was told to be prepared to be stopped by the police. Growing up, I don't know how to drive. Like, all those things were real to me, and I knew that. But they were in my face all the time. I didn't know what to do. I had so much to say. I felt like a lot of my friends in my community didn't understand because they weren't black people. They didn't see what I was seeing. And I get this material that is not a lot, but it's all a young, angry, young black boy who was so mad that wants to stop his sister from being with this racist guy who's in a racist community. I All that happened, and I was like, I know what this is. I know how to do this. Yeah. I go in for this, and it just... 
Adam was saying, you're just in the right place and the flow is happening. Yep. From the second I walked in the room, it was just so easy. You're and like, I'm a creative genius. Yeah. Look at me. Go. I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> and they're kind of treating it like, wow. I'm like, it's, I know so it's supposed to be. And where it vocally sat, it sat in a really high place in my voice, but I'd also been really training my voice along the years and really gaining a, a vocal strength uh, that I never had before. And it wasn't hard. And they were playing with different keys and asking me how I felt about things. And it just all was just the flow was happening. And I got my first principal role on Broadway when I was not expecting and it And you all. were amazing. Thank you. You were so fantastic. Um, and that was such a great learning experience because I was not, you know, I wasn't the, the, the title role of the show. I wasn't right. leading the show. I was definitely a supporting part. But I got to create that supporting part with, Oof. you know, Jerry Zachs. Alan Minkin, like who so were cool. so lovely to me and taught me so much and welcoming to me and showed me so much love and respect. And I learned so much during that process also because I was around people who I loved every second of that experience. My second wow. Broadway experience was the complete opposite from my first. And maybe your first existed For that to reason. prepare you to yeah. um, receive that incredible, inclusive experience in the way that you did. You may not have recognized it for what it was if you hadn't experienced something so yeah. polar opposite. Yeah, it was so beautiful. The cast was truly a family. I think that family aspect of the show bled into the company. It really, it um, seemed like it We were did. together all the time, hanging out, going out, having cookouts. We had babies that were born. We had a, a Bronx Tale prom. It was yes. this epic experience. And everyone's, you know, the extension of everyone also became part of the family. So like your boyfriends and girlfriends and husbands and wives and kids. It was such a beautiful experience. And it empowered me to know that I was, you know, standing in my purpose as an actor. Yes. And then I, I was kind of back. Chicago, doing these amazing regional gigs off-Broadway shows, working and training my muscles as a performer, doing what I love, being creative, making a life for myself yes. in New York, yes. having a great community of friends around me, having a great apartment, uh, doing things that felt good led me to get jobs that also were a joy, even when they weren't a joy and they taught me something. Because your human growth, your real Bradley growth, influenced the work that you were going to exactly. receive. And I think there is such an incredible correlation with that. Um, so I think that's so cool. Yeah, it opened me up in so many ways. It gave me um, just kind of like a power to say, like, I want to do things that feel good. Yes. I want to use my voice. I want to be seen. I want to do this kind of work. Then I got to work harder at this. I got to train this. I got to keep growing. I got to keep, keep figuring out what more I could do. Because if I can do this right now, what if I keep learning and growing, where else could I go? Yes. Because I'm not, I always recognize how I'm not done. Like, I, I always tell students when I do math classes and talk and teach, I say, never stop learning. Because I take these admin classes and some people in my class are in their 80s. I'm like, why, how am I sitting next to a woman who was literally 85 years old doing a same study class with me? Not as a teacher, as a student. So there's always somewhere to grow and to learn and become more more human and more creative. And I yeah. did that work and I do that work. Mm -hmm. And that then like just blossomed. But you're also saying you did that work when you had the jobs too. Yeah, like how always, that play informed yeah, you. Yeah, you gotta always do the work. And to be receptive towards other people teaching you things, I think is so, you take what resonates with you and you leave the rest. Yeah. I think that is such an incredible lesson. Um, so both of you have done experiences 
that have been all over the place when it comes to the stories that they are telling and the people and the representation that are telling them. And I think it would be really interesting to hear for both of you, and especially um, having done a show like Once on this Island and A Bronx Tale, and now doing Simba Mm -hmm. in The Lion King, I would love to hear your perspectives as two people of color and how that is in this industry and how these shows have influenced you and uh, what you think we need more of. If you want to start, Adam, we'll we'll ping pong this. I feel like this is going to be a a good one. (laughs) Um, I have a lot of, um, I think, responsibility to talk about um, where we are in terms of diversity and and inclusion because um, as a queer person of color, I exist in a lot of um, intersections. Yeah. being uh, biracial, being um, Blasian is <laughs> yeah. a particular um, capacity that um, allows me to to see what's available. Um, and I remember working with my first agents and how I think I kind of came into the industry at a time when being um, ethnically ambiguous was going down in being vogue. And we were coming into a period of kind of accurate representation and um, kind of increasing how we looked at diversity, which is so important in our Mm -hmm. level of progress. But at the same time, also seeing how the scrutiny for how we cast was um, being called out, but there was no progress in terms of the work we're creating. Uh, yes. um, so it kind of put me into a similar place that I've been at different points of my life of being betwixt and between, not finding full belonging in any one camp or community. Um, And then when you have that also kind of reinforced from like a professional standpoint and a um, creative and casting standpoint, it can be something that you really have to encounter and and work with. Um, So I think it's so um, clear to when the projects have been inclusive of my many otherness it's been such a right fit like Aladdin like Once on this Island these these shows that have the vision that include multitudes Um, and then it's very clear in other instances when I'm fighting against a a more closed um, idea of of what I represent Um, and that's just one aspect in racial representation we also talk about um orientation we can talk about a lot of different things Absolutely. where I think um, theater and I would say Broadway specifically meaning commercial theater mm-hmm. has um, a lot to catch up on totally. from other um, <clears throat> from other disciplines and in part because it is older than film and television and theater is a 
a discipline and medium that operates off illusion. Therefore, the reference from precedence reinforce themselves. So we have um, theater devices, we have theater conventions, ways at which we see and represent that have been done and passed down through time of theater and through the uh, development of this culture as, as a thing, American culture. So we look at Broadway as a uniquely American art form and it's a representation like any art of our culture. But theater specifically propagating these very antiquated perspectives, oftentimes it's very hard um, to kind of shake progress into something that honors tradition and honors the conventions at which we do it, but then being um, in a place where we're like, some of it is problematic. How do we, how do we, you know, not throw the baby out with the bathwater? Yeah. <laughs> is I think what everyone gets to a place and then with commercial theater being so expensive and so much I being just, on the line yeah. that it's like, well, we, we have to go with what's been proven. And how many times have <laughs> we got 13 conversation? Yeah. How many times have we used the word safe? Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot. That's been a huge thing that we've touched on. And we have an equation that we believe works that makes the people who are investing their money gain that money back and allows audiences to be intrigued and see what they are used to seeing, mm-hmm, yeah. which keeps this thing going round and round and round. And yeah. then you get breakthroughs. You get the moments where a show is created that broke a barrier. Or that at least shows what's possible. Exactly. You know? But then we, we go back to the files because yep. we have a lot at stake. Yep. You know, we 100%. go back to like what... It's like a glimpse, but it's never... We keep... Like, we want to believe Hamilton has changed all of it. And yeah. it, there has been so much that has shifted, I think, because that show has um, proven that you can tell a story a different way and audiences are ready to receive it. Yeah. But it hasn't changed everything where it's going to keep being this climb to get more representation, more diversity, and more pieces created that take risks, that um, go outside the equation that has been created for decades. What I hope it to be is that it is a true call and response. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's this other side where it's an art form that values its history and has created a clear space for the idea of a revival, Mm. which is also antithetical to the (laughs) art making process because art is supposed to reflect where the world is. So if we revive Hamilton 20 and 30 years from now, it's like, why? Yeah. Like, why is Hamilton gonna be applicable for another generation? Because it won't. Yeah. Unless it's, listening and speaking to what's happening and then we look at you know the the practice of of reviving things or and oftentimes it's because we want to honor that thing but there's also this responsibility that we have that art is here to challenge people it's here to um give us a reflection I, I think it's a sacred space. Bradley talks about this a lot of time I think the theater is a sacred space you know it's one area where I think some people confuse it that they try to escape the real world yes, and go to theater and be entertained. But 
in its purest sense, it's one of the last rituals we have where we turn off our phones, we are in this place together, we have our attention fixed on something, and we are given the opportunity to analyze life, to reflect back and look at ourselves. <laughs> Not escape yeah. life, yeah. but look and analyze ourselves. And that's a sacred thing that um, art making has a responsibility to do. Yeah. I agree. And you said something, I read an interview, Bradley, I feel like a real reporter in this moment. Oh, yeah. Um, you said something about doing The Lion King and how Simba being kind of your superhero and how for the first time you were seeing people on stage who looked like you, which meant that there was a place for you to be involved and a power in you being involved. And so when Adam just mentioned you talking about a sacred place, what um, I'd love for you to expand on any, anything you have. The Lion King was my first Broadway show that I really remember seeing. I saw it in high school and I, trip with my choir and we sat in that first row of the mezzanine and it was the first time I ever saw people that looked like me on a Broadway stage mm-hmm. and it blew my mind I like I couldn't speak the whole time one because it was a Lion King and I grew up on the movie and I loved it so much yeah but two because these people were these beautiful brown people that looked like me that that Dance so beautifully, that sang so beautifully, that told this story that everyone in the audience loved so much. And I felt like I belonged there. I didn't feel like there was any sort of, you know, squeezing myself into a certain box or looking a certain way or being a certain way to yeah. appease everyone or, or trying to make myself sound a certain way. Just me, Bradley, who I was, I was welcome into that space and therefore I was welcome into that world. Wow. And I, I think there's so much power in seeing yourself on stage. I think about that when I say kinky boots, I saw myself in yeah. that show in a time when I needed to and I was becoming, you know, a professional and an adult, living on my own, like being sure of who I am as a person, as a as a queer man. Yes. I, I felt that doing a Bronx tale, seeing these, you know, people come from the Bronx or from Jersey, these bridge and tunnel crowds, <laughs> yeah. come to this show in flocks every single day, especially the weekends. <laughs> yeah. And like know the lines and the words and see a reflection of their own communities that they grew up in as kids, as adults, being played out on stage. It They saw themselves and they loved it and they felt like they had something that was theirs. This mm-hmm. story, this movie, Chaz Palminteri, <laughs> this sort of like gritty New York Bronx story was theirs. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't Cinderella, it wasn't Oklahoma, it wasn't anything that was beyond them or or uppity or whatever it was theirs they saw themselves and i think that goes even farther with the lion king because the lion king is yes a disney show but it is a cultural experience Uh, to the highest degree that show rocked my world you're like it's adequate no it's like literally a a cultural anthropologist i must say that it is not to the highest degree no i literally (laughs) i felt like i was just like Transported, and it was yes. movement that yes. I have never seen yeah. done in a theater space like that because it was a movement that was appropriate for the culture yeah. of people that you were reflecting on the stage. And then for me, as an audience member and as a white girl who has identified in this like showgirl world where 
I'm wearing three inch heels and I'm tipping across the stage That's to not see it. not yeah. that. Yeah. Had to. I mean, I think if I was um, so overcome with emotion by that, I can only fathom how that would feel by someone who identifies with the people on that stage. Yeah, it was so. Um, it's so powerful, and I think that's why the show continues to have this long, long, long life that is not the normal Broadway experience with the show. Right. 21, almost 22 years on Broadway. The show is such a cultural experience and I think people also continue to see themselves on stage Mm -hmm. if it's not because of the the cultural experience, it's because of what the story is talking about. Yeah. The story is incredibly human, Mm -hmm. right? It's a story about animals, but it's so human. We all can connect with that. He's an animal, man. You can't help it. We can all connect with that story. (laughs) We can all see ourselves. I never forget, there was a woman who saw... There was a woman who saw our um, our show, and she came on stage afterwards. And I came out. I you know it takes me a while to get out of my makeup. And totally. I come out of the stage, and she sees me, and she breaks down, hugs me, and is broken and crying. And this woman is forties, fifties. I'm like, what's happening? And she proceeds to tell me that, you know, this is her first trip to New York by herself. She lived here when she was right out of college. Mm-hmm. She got married, and she said two years ago. My husband and I were in a, a car accident. A drunk driver hit us. My husband died oh. on the spot. And I woke up two days later in the hospital and I had to learn, learn how to walk again. I had to learn how to start over again. Wow. I had, you know, I have had over 30 surgeries, reconstructive surgeries and whatnot to get myself to this place. And I wanted to do something for myself. And I came to New York to, to relish in this old memories of when I was young and free and yes. happy in New York. And my friend got me a ticket to this show. And I had forgotten about the cartoon. I had forgotten about everything. And she's like, I needed to hear this. Because, like, when you were on your knees and seeing your father and trying to find, you know, a way to get to the other side, I saw myself because I'm trying to, like, heal. And I've been blocking so much of the pain that I've experienced losing my husband and losing. I'm not a mother. I don't have. He was my person. Letting go of that and really healing from it instead of pretending and she was like, that. I needed that because I saw myself. She was like, that wow. was me. And I think that tonight you helped me have a breakthrough. And I was like, in that moment, I was like, girl, I definitely wasn't thinking about yes, that totally. tonight. You know, sometimes yes. during your show and you're like really you're in it. In, you're you're doing... in it and you're feeling it and it's on you. And you kind of, you know, I'll stand backstage and I'll, I'll, I have all these tricks as actors. We have tricks and techniques that we can do, sense memory, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And sometimes depending on where you are, how tired you are, if you're just really feeling it, you really take yourself there. But sometimes you just do your show yeah. because you know how to do it and that's yeah. what you're supposed to do. And that was one of those nights where I definitely ha- wasn't having an actory Broadway yeah. experience. I was doing my gig, and I yeah. was grateful to be there, but I wasn't thinking about how many people I was affecting. But she saw herself just through the story. And I think Broadway yeah. has to learn how to continue to trust itself. And what it has done over and over again throughout the years, we can go back to who knows when. We constantly have little moments and little glimmers where you present a story, whether it be because of the people who are on stage doing it or the story you were telling, where people are really seeing themselves and you were making a difference. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times, because it's commercial theater, producers and Broadway in general doesn't trust itself. That's a you, great way to put it. You have to keep trusting yourself and knowing that like taking a risk sometimes, it will pay off because someone is seeing themselves and you never know how far that's going to go. And you're paving the way for somebody else to do the exactly. same. Exactly. Every little show, every moment, you can kind of like, we could sit here all day and line up what paved the way to get to Hamilton. Absolutely. Like, if you don't take a risk, 
you won't get there. Yeah. You won't get there. No so, plan yeah, is safe. But diversity, like, it has to keep happening. Adversity in the people that are on stage, diversity in the stories that are being told, and just taking the risk of telling those stories and not being, you know, put in the box of what's okay and what's not and what's working and what's not, what's happening on TV and movies, what's not. You know, just taking the risk and putting it out there. And if you give that opportunity a chance, it will pay off. And I think diversity in the creative space that's beyond actors, I think opportunities for more minorities to take up space when it comes to producing, artistic directing, creating, writing. I personally, as a woman, I'm sick of watching a white man tell my story on stage over and over again. Yeah. We so think I about think it horizontally yeah. sometimes too often and it needs to be vertical. Yeah. Um, and there's also an idea that diversity just works. We know that out, outside of the arts, statistically, especially in um, where these studies have been made in the corporate world, like diversity works because it is a value. Right. You know? And it's funny that we have to like look at data to, to prove it. But it's like, sure. no, like it, it sparks creativity, it sparks innovation because it allows for new possibilities. It mm. brings new perspectives to the table, which therefore, consultants talk about this all the time, of best practices. When we have a diversity of opinions and perspectives, if you create a system and a structure that can embrace difference, then you're getting best practices, mm. which creates innovation and progress. So it's it's something to even opt into because it's a value itself. You know what I mean? Sometimes Absolutely. people think about like, where's the best way we can capitalize off of diversity? And like trying to like fit it in the right pocket. Right. But then it, it needs to be looked at as a discrete value in itself. Like um, we don't question um, fire drills. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, because we don't need to look at the data anymore about we just know we need to know how to get safety out. Yeah. <laughs> precautions yeah. are going to be beneficial to a lot of people. Um, we don't have to be like, well, what's the best way we can talk about safety in a moment? It's like, no, we just do it. You know? Yeah. So I think that's like really the next step. I love that. I have one last question that I would love for you both to answer before I give you your rapid fire ending. Um, I would love to hear as brief as you can about how your unemployment and how the times in between the shows, um, because we put so much value in the shows that we book and that has Mm -hmm. become the way that we um, look at success. How many shows are on your resume? Are you in a show now? What are you up to? I would love to hear how the unemployment maybe has served in your life bigger than the shows that you have booked and how that time um, can be better, better honored in our community. I feel like uh, the times I've been unemployed, which I can say there haven't been very many of those times. Which is fair, yeah. Everyone's um, experiences are different. That Those times have been so creatively fulfilling because I rediscover my creative self and my artist self that I sometimes, 
I don't want to say I lose him, but I get stuck in the grind of doing it and drilling the lines and doing what they want me to do and being the kind of artist that like is expected of me for this show, no matter if it's for a long-running show or a little short-running regional show. Um, I think I, I love that time because I'm reintroduced to the artist that I know that I am and that I love him. This is why I am an artist. This is why I am in New York City. I feel like I find him. Which is more of the identity than the man in the Lion King. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's more the artist is, it sounds like at the base of who you it's are. It's who I am. It's from the time we talked about, you know, me dancing in my living room. That's yeah. the same artist. 100%. So it's like forcing yourself to never stop being that creative artist when you are without a job, when you have a job. If that's who you are and that is what you feel your purpose is, is to create and to be an artist, keep doing that. And I think that I, in my unemployment, in my times of unemployment, I just see that flourish in a way that I don't usually see. And I wonder too, because I don't know if you get to that flourishing moment right away. And I think it's important to acknowledge that there is post-show blues that can happen. There is um, insecurities that can happen and that you start to question, is it worth it? Do I want to live my life waiting for my next show? Do I want to live my life waiting for those things? No, you don't and you shouldn't. And your time waiting should actually be spent living yeah, and finding what that is yeah. for you. Live whether it's life. Yes. Whether Build it's a life. Any, anything. Anything. Anything, please. Anything. Adam, what about you? Yeah, so I, I've never been unemployed because I've always had to make money. But right. I have never. From the nature of <laughs> yeah, yeah. Theater, though. But <laughs> I'm with you. There's, but I think what's so beautiful about that question is that there's a dichotomy. And there's a dialogue between your times working exclusively as a performer and your times working in other capacities. Mm -hmm. And listening to that dialogue has taught me my purpose, you know, because you have to um, take stock of what fulfills you and what doesn't. And my time um, also, because of my background, because there has been a lot less time of my life given the privilege to exclusively be a performer. So there has been a lot of pushback when I've only done that to claim that identity. You know, there was so much about me trying to like hold all these hats Mm. that I can wear to like think about myself in that sort of way that I oftentimes struggled being like, well, I'm not just an artist. I'm just, I'm not just a performer. Right. Whereas a lot of people are like, that's what I am, and I can't do these other things. And I've always been, I'm most fulfilled when I'm cross-pollinating. Yes. And I'm fulfilled by many things. So there was, I remember a distinct moment when it was like the opposite of being unemployed when. I had to just be a performer that I had to take ownership of that mm. because it, it it was as if I was like letting go of this academic side of me and this other part of me to, to do this one thing and it hurt because I saw my life as so much um, bigger, so yeah. much wider. and. It really enforced in me going back and forth in shows, out of shows, that it comes down to ownership. You know, my purpose 
I've discovered is to touch, move, and inspire people and be a conduit of connection. So that can happen when I'm on stage sharing a narrative. That can happen when I am on the lines for a suicide and crisis hotline. That can happen when I'm coaching someone in nutrition. That can happen when I'm having the best conversation with my mom. Yeah. You know, my, my purpose is, is ignited and activated. And all these other things, being on Broadway, doing this other work, they're vehicles. They're mm. passions that I have, and they're vehicles to activate my purpose. But I, I oftentimes was like compartmentalizing so many things. And then it, it taught me, being in shows and being out of shows, that dialogue, that it comes down to ownership. And I'm the one that has to contain it all mm. so that nobody can tell you what you are. Yeah. I get. I used to get really upset that people wouldn't see me in my fullness. They'd be like, "Oh, they only see me like as a black person," or they don't think I'm Asian enough, or they don't think I'm black enough, yeah. or they just see me as queer, or they only these people didn't know me at when I like um, came out and all these things yeah. that they saw only one side of me. And then I came to a place where it's not for them to own mm-hmm. all of these different parts of of me are for me to own. So if they see one part of me, I can acknowledge that and respect that because they're seeing a true part of me. They don't have to see all of me. They're seeing something. And that's some way that I can connect to them. So I love that. that came to a place where I'm like, oh, I have all these areas that I can connect to people. So then I started looking at it as abundance instead of scarcity. And that's, I think, what Ooh, unemployment yes, taught me. Yes, abundance. Yes, I love that. <laughs> unemployment will definitely teach you that there's always abundance in the world. I could not agree more. Yeah. You two are the most incredible. We are going to finish it off with Rapid both fire. of you answering boom, boom, these boom. questions that we get to hear everybody who comes onto the show answer. Oh, and I'm very pumped, a la James Lipton. Okay. Um, I have a few questions for you. Great. So we what, just uh, you're just gonna answer yeah. whatever you want, no order. Oh my gosh. What other job could you have if you weren't a performer? A massage therapist. Ooh, love a, it. A teacher or social worker. Cool. Yeah. Oh my god, love this. Mine's an ER doctor. Um, <sighs> what animal would you be if you could be any animal? I would be a. A, a, He's physicalizing. I would be. I'm physicalizing. I would be a jaguar. Yes. Great. Yes, I'd you be would. a bird. You would Some be a bird. Big old bird. <laughs> like a. I like um, a falcon. That's Ooh. so telling of our relationship. I love that. Oh, <laughs> ours would be that way too. I'm a freaking horse, man. <laughs> yeah, Full throttle. Favorite food and favorite drink. And it could be. Uh, Adult drink or a <laughs> sure. normal drink. Um, I love it's a, it's a toss up because I love he knows both avocados and bananas. Hysterical. He loves bananas. Love bananas. Fully, I have that problem. I love cereal. Mm. Cereal is crack, <laughs> and it drink is manufactured. Crack. We both love ginger ale. We have, we have a home whiskey. that loves ginger ale. We love ginger ale in our household too. Yeah. And if I have a whisker, whisker, that should be what it's called, whiskey ginger. Yeah. Whisker One ginger. of my favorites, yeah. also, this is like the most like hipster thing ever. But I'm scared. 
whiskey and ginger kombucha yeah is it's like good now guys my favorite i'm i don't discriminate with it's whiskey. like the ipa of, of, the, of like the whiskey ginger we have a, so, it's like bitter yes it's like, <laughs> a full meal we have cereal with bananas with ginger ale and whiskey that's oh, our favorite thing that's fierce i like that come over guys for a oh snack. my god that sounds epic <laughs> what is one thing you couldn't live without let's say an object an object. Oh, I was going like. I know. I, was, I knew I you going, were. Dude. I saw those eyes. <laughs> You'll. An we'll object. get to something An deep. Object. Don't you worry. I don't yeah. Know. If you're on a deserted island and you went to reach for it, and you're like, I freaking wish I had that. I feel like. I need, needs water. Always I'm always. I drink tons of water. I need water. Yeah. I need lotion too. I love to be moisturized. You, yes, that's hydration. a great one. That's I need hydration, hydration for my. Yeah, I need hydration in all senses. Yes. Yes, yes. Yeah. hydration. Water and love. <laughs> I would say like yeah, like chapstick. I like definitely could always, live without chapstick. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? But <sighs> I could have lived yeah. without the housewives. Yeah. Oh, That's how I feel. <laughs> yes, Beverly yes. well, Hills, Atlanta, always and Potomac. I, I, I haven't watched Potomac. I can't get into it, but I'll start it because I need to. Yeah. Um, I would what, say like a good, a good like. Um, Wrap. Oh my god, a wrap. A pashmina. I need a wrap. Like, I need a cloth. Yeah. I need. I love that. The best. If I only have one object in the world, I need like a a perfect like multi-use just cloth that That's I can use to wrap myself and functional, or like keep myself or carry something. It's just. Oh, I love I it. That's amazing. What's your biggest pet peeve? <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> um, my biggest pet peeve is I don't I don't think I really think about me. I don't think I no, I don't think I have a pet peeve. But people I don't like people being just like mean and nasty at work. I think I always yes, say I like it takes no work at all to be neutral. You don't gotta be Happy you don't have to fake happiness or like yeah, I'm with be you. spewing out joy. You don't have to be <laughs> evil and nasty, but being neutral and just being there takes no work at all. So I, pet peeve is just nastiness at work. That's don't do one. it. I like that. Um, I have like two pet peeves that have always been with me. One is when people <laughs> ask me the same question over and over again. Oh, and then the other is like loud mouth sounds. I cannot do loud mouth sounds as well. Like chewing, chewing with your mouth open and gum popping for me. Okay, okay. How would you spend your perfect day off? What are you doing? We have different ideas. I, If I had a day off, it would probably be taking advantage of like things that are happening. If there's like music event or if there's something to see or yes. there's somewhere to be. And you would. <laughs> I like my day off at listeners... <laughs> Judge if you want. But my day Judge off, if you will. I want to spend most of the day doing nothing. So, and that can mean. You guys are definitely similar yeah. to Jake and I. Am, like, I'm a mover, and 
in the sense of like the quiet time is helpful to me, but he really gains his energy back by sitting for yes. a second. I, I say on days off, I like to do one, if we're going to do something, one activity, preferably at the start of the day or at the latter part of the day. Yeah, I'm kind of a latter part. One thing. It cannot be a concert and a dinner. It cannot and a museum. It has to be oh the museum. When you only have one well, day off a week, I you're know, like trying, trying to fit it all in. I'm the same way. You got to do the one thing. That's yeah. What's your favorite curse word? Well, yeah, yeah fuck's fine too. I say fuck all I the say time. motherfucker probably too much. I scream fuck. Yeah. It's alone, right? <laughs> it just feels good. And then when you're an adult and you realize you have the power to say it, really good. Um, I don't say it too often though, but fuck's my go-to. I like it. It's welcome here. What is happiness? And as concise as you can think in your life what that is. Happiness, well, to me, now, is coming home into the night to Adam and having time together to just lay and sit and watch our shows and just be together. That's my happiness. Happiness is home. Yeah, our safe place. Yes. Yeah. um, Mine's a little more, like, metaphysical. Um, Absolutely. I love the two perspectives. I think happiness is... um, having moments to appreciate your belonging like having those moments where you know that you belong you know which creates safety which creates connection affirmation yeah i love that that is it my friend yes you two are literally magic and I'm so appreciative. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Thanks for having us. This is our first thing we've ever done together. Yes. No. Oh my God, what an honor. We're all engaged in this room together. What's next? <laughs> What's knows? next, friends? Tune in. You guys are the best. I love you both. Thank you so much. I love you, Brittany. <laughs>